Welcome to Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Line Miller, your host. I want to thank our sponsor, Farm to Plate. They are creating tomorrow's food business ecosystem today. You can find out more about them at farmtoplate.io. Today's guest is very exciting and he covers a lot of different footprints across the food business and I'm really excited to bring him to you. It's David Freed. He is the Chief Information Officer with MSI Express. He also is the Head of Sustainability. So that's what I meant when he covers a lot of footprint. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yeah, we have a lot to unpack this morning with the different areas that you're involved in in business. And first of all, why don't you share with us a little bit about MSI Express and what their mission is? Yeah, thanks for having me again. So MSI Express, we're, we like to think of ourselves as uh, the leader in contract manufacturing uh, focused on the food and beverage industry. Um, so I like to say that you've definitely tried our products. You just didn't know it was us. We don't have our own brands. Uh, we manufacture on behalf of the largest brands in the world, um, and we really put trust on a shelf for them. So they're handing us their, you know, proprietary bill of materials, their supply chain, and our job is to really simplify their supply chain for them um, at scale. And so we're we've got 15 facilities in the U.S. today. Uh, in the past, we'll talk about this, but we've had really tremendous growth the past couple of years. You know, COVID was a a boom to our business. Um, as the as the grocery stores were empty, we were trying to staff up and work through all the supply chain challenges that came with COVID. Uh, but then we've accelerated that growth through after COVID. And as people kind of work to simplify their supply chains, that's really been a boom to our business because we can provide a one-stop shop for a lot of different capabilities uh, for our customers. So when you think of us, you think center grocery store, uh, shelf-stable predominantly food and beverage manufacturing. Yeah. the And you, you've talked about supply chain. I think that the average person, the average citizen across the world didn't really deal with supply chain or have to worry about supply chain or even think about it, maybe not even know what the term meant. But during COVID, everyone became aware of supply chain because we were all dealing with the issues, the challenges that supply chain presented. But for you, that was really also an opportunity. Yeah, I think for a lot of companies, there were really good parts of COVID and obviously very tragic parts of COVID, right? And, you know, not being able to interact with your colleagues every day, not to mention some of your colleagues getting sick um, and friends and family that had issues with COVID. But on the commercial side, you know, our business, we were lucky enough to, we pride ourselves on flexibility and speed to market. That's why people hire us. Um, if you're a big Fortune 100 company, being able to launch a new product requires a lot of different departments all coordinating together. Uh, you try to get a new item set up in SAP, it might take a month to do so. Um, and we try to be the alternative to that of, all right, we need to launch a new product. We need to increase production by 100% next week or next month or next year. How do we do that? Well, we hope that you call MSI Express when that happens. Um, and COVID was exactly that problem. It was, oh my goodness, the world's going to end to, oh my goodness, people are going to just stop eating at restaurants and only should go to the grocery store and we can't get the basic necessities of food and home products. And for us, that was, we had just completed an acquisition. 
So we were in the middle of integrating that acquisition and it was a really sizable one for us. We had bought a business called Power Packaging away from DHL. Um, in January, we closed that business right before COVID. And so then March came and it was like, okay, we we have to be off of our customers, you know, that that acquires systems uh, in a couple of months. And, but yeah, we have this enormous growth with COVID and we can't get people to show up to work because people are afraid. And so it was a real challenge, but it was a crucible that I think really brought our team together, um, forced us to standardize our processes, forced, forced us to scale how we do things. And then as we've come out of COVID and the labor market has eased up a little bit, there's still a war for talent, um, but labor market's eased up a little bit. Supply chain has eased up a little bit. We've really been able to uh, accelerate her down. So it's been an exciting yeah. time. Yeah, it sounds like you're definitely in growth mode. And I think one of the things that as chief information officer, we'll talk about that hat for a second that you can offer your companies is that that change, you know, the, the technology piece of it that in the food industry, a lot of the manufacturers and uh, they're working on with paper, they haven't moved on from that. So you can share a little bit about what challenge, um, what benefits you offer there. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, my team and I like to say that technology should be a reason customers and employees come to and stay with MSI Express. Um, and we really spent a lot of time over the past several years digitizing the entire, uh, in all of our processes. So basically you don't, a material doesn't hit our shop floor without going into a system. We don't do a quality check without do, hitting a system. We didn't do a maintenance operation without hitting our system. Um, et cetera, et cetera. So all the functions have systems they work with on a daily basis so that we can, and then we're really, you know, one of the things I'm really proud about is we've, we don't keep those in their functional silos, right? And we try and make decisions that look across the organization with that data so that we're bringing all that data up into a data warehouse, we're displaying it to groups in Tableau, and then we're able to leverage automation to pass data between systems so that you in quality get a view on ops, right? You in maintenance get a view on, on quality. And because that's how you solve problems when getting teams together, all looking at the same sheet of paper and they all can agree on the common set of facts. And then we can start solving the problem and then we can measure, are we having an impact or not, right? And if not, how do we readjust? And hey, we have this secondary effect over here what are we going to do about it? And I think you're 100% right that the food industry, you know, I came from the process and energy industry in my previous life. And that entire world is run in SCADA and lots of data forward, right? It's remote assets. And so you really want to have visibility into how things are going. There's requirements for the grid and regulators to get access to that data. Food and beverage, I was really surprised at the lack of digitization here. You know, I came in thinking, hey, we're going to just apply machine learning everywhere. And like AI is going to be, we're going to be ready to go. And it was like, uh, let's pause. We got to, we got to do a little more foundational work, not only on the technology side, but really on the, the culture, right? And if you've never worked in an environment where you've got iPads on the floor and you're starting to make decisions with data and you have to care about things like master data, uh, performance management using that data, right? Those are new things for a lot of people, especially on our shop floor, uh, where a lot of people may not have an iPhone or an iPad at home. Um, and so teaching them how to use the tools and then once they use the tools, be able to grow with that. And then that's been what's really been exciting for me and our team is watching people that have embraced it and, and, and use the technology and the data to accelerate their own careers be, beyond where they even thought was probably possible. So fun ride to see that digitization in action. And the great gains that can be made there, like you were mentioning, once you can give everybody the same information, then 
all of the expertise can be brought together to help so identify, first of all, and then solve the problems. But until then, you know, I'm reminded of that old story about the farmer plowing the field manually and, and just dragging the um, equipment across the field. And the guy, the tractor salesman shows up and he's like, I don't have time to talk to you. We're not realizing if we just make this transition. So your point though, especially in the food industry, I know our sponsor Farm to Plate deals with the same thing on the front end of the supply chain, just some of the manual processes. If, if you can see the, make it intuitive enough so the people on the ground will use it and get the data in the system so that then you can have the analytics to be able to use, you know, that that's the challenge. But like you said, great strides are being made and the adoption is quick and your company is, you know, providing a lot of that. That said, with the scalability piece, you know, there are a lot of gains that can be made there when you're talking about, you know, if you're counting tens or hundreds or thousands of an item happening, that's one thing. But when you multiply that to scale and you're able to make some gains in the process, that makes a huge difference. I mean, I know that you've been able to, I'm thinking, I mean, technology helps, but also in the sustainability piece, you're talking about the center of the store, the CPG area, there's lots of inputs that go on there and the packaging. And can you share with us a little bit about how you've been able to impact the sustainability area with some of the work that you do as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you're, um, you know, you talk about thousands. Here we talk about billions of things, uh, which just the scale of food in this country is is something that I did not appreciate until I came into this job. I mean, we we last year produced a billion and a half stick packs, right? We'll produce on some of our facilities. We do cake mix. We'll do over a million cake boxes a day, right? And yeah. if you've ever seen the Discovery Channel show how it's made, those are all of our plants, right? It's high speed automation and you have to do produce high quality, safe products for our people and for our kids, right? At that scale. And it's not an easy job. It's actually pretty hard to do that big coordination effort, and so you've now you're asking the, the CPG brands to now, okay, let's gonna, we're now gonna transfer, you know, 150 years of food manufacturing in this country to now sustainable offering. Well, people, you know, it's not gonna happen overnight. Um, and I think, you know, there's a few things that we've tried to do internally. So we think this is an area we can really lead, even though we're tend to be the tail uh here to our CPG dog, right? They're, they own the brands. They get to decide what ultimately happens on the shelf uh, for consumers with their customers. But we think that there's a lot that we can do in our supply chain. Because um, So the first thing we did when, we, when I got here was really energy efficiency audits at all of our facilities, right? So bringing in experts that can look around and say, hey, put in LED light bulbs, right? I was really surprised. You would think everybody's done LEDs by this point, right? That's not true. And LEDs are really quick payback for a lot of people. Uh, and so if you haven't done LED upgrades, go do them. Um, but then it was, you know, doing HVAC. It was starting to look at compressed air. It was really getting our own house in order from a facilities point of view. How do we procure electricity, right? Are there opportunities for clean or renewable versions of electricity? That that was our first step. And then it was, okay, let's start to measure, right? Let's start to understand how much are we buying? What are all of our scope of our emissions? If people aren't aware of the scoped emissions, you'll probably learn it soon because the SEC regulations are coming. Uh, but scope, you know, scope one and scope two are basically your buildings, inputs you buy for your products. Scope three, which is for us over 90% of our emissions is our supply chain, right? So it's all the packaging and 
and raw materials that come in our building. It's all the travel our people do. It's all the trucks that happen. That supply chain is where everybody's, the majority of everybody's missions are. And it's really hard to get after, but that's where we're now staying. All right, that's where we think we can lead. So we're working with our vendors because we can be a convener, right? When you have to switch a product you have to get your vendors involved, your customers involved, the manufacturer involved, and the retailer involved. And all have to say, okay, yeah, we're shaking our heads. This might cost a little more, but we think this is exciting enough to get after. So we we worked on post-consumer recycled cardboard. We were on post-consumer recycled plastics. We started to do trials for fiber-based and plant-based packaging and compostable packaging. And some of those aren't ready for the billions of scale yet, but they're ready for the millions of scale. And that's really exciting. And I think our customers, you know, one of the things I would say to all the listeners out there is that your dollars matter, right? What what ultimately moves the needle here is less, I think, less the carrot of regulatory pressure and it's or the stick of regulatory pressure and more the carrot of consumer switching, right? Is um, there was a study that McKinsey did recently that said an NYU Stern that said nearly half of all growth in CPG was from sustainable-based products, right? And even though it's less than 20% of the overall market. And so if I'm big CPG and I'm looking for growth, well, where am I going to go? I'm going to go to those growth areas of which sustainability is one. Part of that transition to help figure out, hey, how do we scale sustainability and get sustainable products on the shelf? Um, and you're like a facilitator in that because you're touching both ends of it. You're bringing the people together. So if you can come up with the idea or the proposition and, and some of the data points that can make that happen for a manufacturer and then bring all the parties together and help them help them make the decision. Because like you say, I mean, you're in the middle of that. That's your expertise in that manufacturing space. Completely agree with that. Yeah, yeah completely agree with that. Yeah, that's really great. Um, and so you have had growth as a result of some of these proactive measures that you're taking, I mean, you've grown organically, but you've also looked for partners that can, that, so you don't have to recreate the wheel, right? So you've, you've um, grown by acquisition as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we've done about five acquisitions in the past five years. Um, so it's been a, a, you know, one a year where we're private equity backed and that's part of the, part of the game you get into when you're private equity backed is there's both inorganic and organic growth, which we were talking earlier about the challenges of, of culture change in a digital world. Um, we'll add acquisitions to that and you got to blend five cultures together to create one, yes. one culture. But I think you're right, right? We do acquisitions because it gives us new capabilities for our customers. I think we we see it as a lot of our big customers, they have a hundred plus manu contract manufacturers and contract packagers in their network, right? And so just in the U.S., Right. And so if I'm them and I've got trying to do traceability, I'm trying to simplify what's going on. I'm trying to optimize. Right. Think of a hundred points. You're all trying to move around and move demand between them all to your, you know, DCs around the country. That's just a hard problem. And so what we want to say is, all right, big CPG, give us your business and we'll do it all in our footprint. And so you get common reporting, you know, common expectations around food quality and food safety right? Common expectations around delivery times. That's our goal. And so we, you know, we've been asked by some of our big customers, hey, can you do more liquid filling? And so, you know, this past year, we bought a, a facility up in Ripon, Wisconsin, that does a lot of liquid filling. Uh, there's a dearth of supply and liquid filling in the country. 
we were mostly a dry foods company, but they said, Hey, uh, we really want to get into, and we're doing things like salad dressings and, and electrolyte beverages right up in that building. And it's a big growth area for us now because they, they trust that, Hey, we're, we're digital first, we're food safety focused, but we also can achieve the scale that we need to. And we can be very flexible, uh, which is why people hire us. So I think we'll continue to buy facilities that give us an, uh, new capabilities for our customers. Yeah, leveraging the expertise that's already out there is how I look at it. I mean, rather than recreating the wheel, you're leveraging the expertise that's that's already there. And you've got processes in place that you can just bring those in. But it is not a small task, like you said, to have the synergy with all the companies working together. So that that's a whole task in itself, just trying to figure out the best way to do that and how to maximize the potential of all the different advantages that you can bring to your customers. It is a lot, but it's, yeah. I think you made a really good point there. I was, I was kind of focused on capabilities from an equipment perspective, but you, you reminded me of the people are the most important thing that you get through an acquisition, right? And yeah. I, our CEO likes to say, anybody can go buy a packaging, a piece of packaging equipment, right? That's not hard. What's hard is how do you get all the people around the table to know how to run it, get the materials there on time, do it every day at a high quality, um, in a safe way. And so when we're doing liquid filling, yeah, we could go stand up our own facility. And we have done that in certain cases where we stand up a new facility for our customers, but we really like it when we can buy a facility and then we leverage all that expertise, take best practices and spread it throughout the organization. Um, and that, that people first nature is something that we really pride ourselves on. Exactly. And you also mentioned that regulations are coming. I think from a company perspective, one of the advantages of working with a company like MSI Express is that you're on top of what some of those are in the processes that you're providing. I don't know if you can share a little bit about specifics of what's going on right now, kind of in the standardization regulation category, there, there's a lot happening there. Yeah, I, I think food safety is one that I definitely don't know enough about to be smart. You'll you want to have our head of quality on to talk about that side, but there's definitely regulations on the food quality side that we're yeah. very much on top of and put systems in place to help support. But on the sustainability side, you know, recently the SEC uh, came out and said, hey, we're going to require companies to disclose public companies of a certain scale. Uh, to disclose their scoped emissions, right? And so right along, you know, financial results every quarter, we consider climate risk one of the, you know, things that investors need to be aware of. And so if you're a big company, you're going to have to start disclosing your, and that's not just, you know, the electricity you buy and the natural gas you buy and the oil you use, or, you know, not just primary uses of electric, of energy, but also, What's in your supply chain? What are the embedded emissions in the things that you buy? Um, and that's us, right? We are the scope three emissions for big CPG. The supply chain is the is the biggest part of the emissions. When you buy something and you decide to recycle it or throw it away, you're making an emissions decision, right? And this whole circularity discussion around, you know, what where is the ownership going to sit in in a producer, right? And how does that end product get disposed of and who's responsible for that? There's a lot of really interesting conversations happening in that world right now. And we're trying to stay on top of that and offer solutions. I think it's really easy to, not easy necessarily, but uh, people's first impressions are to say, hey, let me fight this. Let me go ahead and hire lobbyists to go after it. 
I think we see it as an opportunity where consumers want to buy sustainable products. That's pretty clear from the data we're looking at. And so how do you offer that to them at scale? And how do you do it so that people can have, you know, their, they love in a sustainable format. That's really exciting. It's one of the reasons we really like stick pack is because think about the amount of energy we spend on shipping water around the country in bottles, right? (laughs) Why do we do that? Well, we do that because we trust that it's been blended correctly and we like how it tastes. Well, if we can deliver that same format, but with, you know, your, your water bottle um, and a little stick pack that you get the functional benefits of hydration or energy or other reasons that you pick up drink. We're really excited about that. And we've done, you know, our own version of a a lifetime emissions analysis on that. We think it's 85% reduction in carbon intensity versus a recycled plastic bottle. Hold on 85%. Yeah. 85% reduction, right? If you think about that's big producing a bottle, filling it with yes. water, shipping that around the country, recycling that bottle versus producing a little bit of film with some powder in it. That's two and a half grams. And then the consumer dumps that in their, their metal water bottle. It's enormous yes. savings, right? Yes. And so we yes, can do a absolutely. lot of post-consumer recycled, which we should, but we also need to think a little bit differently about, Hey, how do we go maybe beyond the bottle here to other formats that are really Uh, sustainable for customers. Exactly. That's very exciting. And I want to say to our international listeners, we're talking about some SEC regulations, really specific here in the United States, but your countries are all also undertaking similar initiatives or have already done so. And uh, so please, it's happening all across the world. We're just uh, specific about this situation here, but know that all the countries are evaluating you know, how they can best use the resources and how we can minimize impact uh, across all the operations that happen in the food industry in general. Yeah, it's a really good point. I think what we've seen is Europe is actually pretty far ahead of the U.S. in terms of their approach on sustainability. And a lot of our big CPGs have operations in both. And so they're taking a lot of the best practices that have been developed in Europe and applying them to other markets. And those are the ones that tend to be in front of us. So uh, out in front. And that's that's pretty exciting. But I think Asia is also uh, caring a lot. We're actually seeing a lot come from South America and Central America where can, where you really don't have the space. We you know we talked to a couple of companies that, that have a big presence in the Caribbean. They don't have the space for landfills. And so they require everything to be compostable. And so, wow. you know, and then they're developing technology as a result of that, that they're then exporting here to the US. And that's really exciting for us. Yeah, that's all very exciting. I Also, you know, this whole conversation is happening real time right now, because I think you would agree in the sustainability space, you're the head of sustainability. But from what I'm hearing, uh, we don't have all the answers to what the best thing to do is. I mean, everybody's trying to figure that out. I I don't know if you're in the same mindset. Just a hundred percent. If it were a solved problem, uh, (laughs) we wouldn't be talking about it so much. So I think it's a hundred percent people aren't agreeing people don't agree and people don't necessarily know do we want to go compostable or recyclable right do we want to go how what is the circular economy really going to look like what is the future of retail and e-com really look you know i get excited about this This is a a world i've worked in now for 15 years um and my head of sales likes to say like cio is my job sustainability is my passion um and so i got this job because i i raised my hand for it right? And said, hey, who's doing sustainability in MSI Express? Okay, I'll do it, right? And it was uh, 
it, I jumped in. I didn't know, you know, I had a background really in more power generation side. And so knew the, a little bit about the carbon markets, had some relationships in that area, but I didn't know about food and beverage sustainability. I didn't know these vendors. And so, but I've been able to leverage expertise and um, of my peers and of people that I respect in the industry and just get intros along the way. And so I think that for young people looking for a career, I always have kind of oriented myself to, hey, where's a lot of change happening? Because that's where imp- incumbents are going to change. You as a young person have a lot of opportunity to be able to grow and develop. And you don't, you can't leverage 40 years of expertise, right? In, in a high changing environment, you have to relearn. And I think young people then are almost on equal footing with people that have 40 years of experience. And so you can jump in, be the expert in a certain area because those experts don't exist today. And so I think that it's absolutely a really exciting time in sustainability because it's so unclear about how it's all going to work and not how it's going to work on a micro scale, but how it's going to work across the entire economy, right? Billions of dollars are going to get moved around over the next 10 to 15 years. Somebody's going to capture a portion of that. And I think that you know, I've always said that entrepreneurship and, and business is a really important partner at the table for sustainability because that's the true way you make it sustainable, right? When there's that profit motive, you get people involved to really change what they can do and make it sustainable and self-fulfilling, right? It's not something that's a moral imperative, which it is absolutely, but that doesn't get everybody motivated, right? Money is something that a lot more people agree on that if there's an opportunity to make money in sustainability, let's go after it. I think there is an enormous opportunity, it also has the added benefit of we take care of the climate, which we really need to do. Yeah, different justifications. I love your point about, yeah, and your kind of career advice to those that might be listening to us who are younger in their careers. Your ability to be agile at this point is a benefit and to think about new things and take in new ideas, as opposed to you might think that you're lesser than the person with 30 years experience or 40 years experience. But you're not if that person with 30 or 40 years experience is not willing to take in new ideas and massage those and make decisions based on that. If they're stuck in the way we've always done things and that's why we're doing it because we've always done it that way, that's not working anymore in the food industry in particular. It's changing quickly to David's point. There's a lot happening, lots of conversations. So by way of encouragement to uh, any younger people or young-minded people who are listening or watching uh, our interview today. I mean, jump in. You don't have to know the food industry. You just have to be willing to learn and change and take in good information. We like smart people that can get good data and make decisions, right? I think the barriers are, you know, barriers to entry in the food and and beverage industry is lower than they've ever been, right? We, We now have helped several emerging brands that really were just a for- had a good idea, formulated a good product, you know, got a, a small e-commerce business going and then got their first Target contract or their first Walmart contract, right? And then they're like, oh my goodness, how are we going to produce? How are we going to scale? Yeah, yeah, help, right? And we <laughs> helped them do that. And now these yeah. are $100 million, billion dollar brands, a very small team, right? That they're really good marketers. They leverage social really effectively, right? They're, they keep innovating on the product and they're really fast and agile and they want a partner who can help them scale. And we take care of the, you know, the day-to-day blocking and tackling of operations and supply chain and quality and all those other things that their retailers need. But when you've got a good idea, 
getting to scale has never been easier before. That's so exciting and a great message really from MSI Express. I really appreciate that. David, we have we have covered so many different topics this morning. I really appreciate you bringing all of your expertise to our podcast today. Uh, and I want to ask you if there's anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners before you go. Um, I think we covered a lot of what we what I thought I was going to say at the end of this podcast on that question. Okay. But I, I think I would reiterate, I, I mean, I think that it's a really exciting time to work in food and bev and sustainability in general. Um, you know, I like I always like unsexy businesses, right? Um, to me, those are inherently super interesting. When you can take a lot of my friends went into tech um, and like some of the smartest people in the world optimizing ads on Google doesn't feel like the right thing, right? Like it feels like we should be working on like energy and food security and water, these foundational building blocks that are really stressed right now because of climate action. And I think there's just so much opportunity for young, smart people to get in this world and leverage all of their expertise, right? We need people in data science and analytics and marketing in communications and manufacturing and supply chain. I mean, I would, I think we're an American manufacturer. We love America and love the promise of America. You know, maybe we'll grow internationally soon for all the international people. I think we do make stuff in America at scale in really competitive ways. And I get really excited about leveraging technology to do that and doing it in a sustainable way. And so, you know, we are hiring. So please reach out if you, this interests you. Uh, but thank you very much for having me on today. And let me tell a little bit about our story. Absolutely. And thank you for being here. And all the information about MSI Express will be in the notes to the podcast or YouTube notes. Uh, but also, if you'd like to hear other great guests like David, please um, subscribe, like us, and we would love to see you again. Thank you for being with us today.